If you are looking for even more help and guidance on your breakup, I have a few different options for you to take your healing to the next level. I have four different online courses depending on what stage of the breakup that you're in from beginning all the way into moving on after heartbreak, or you can bundle all of my courses together and use the code podcast to get $25 off my course bundle. I also have my 30 day no contact challenge to help hold you accountable in going no contact with your ex. And we have our free Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with other people going through breakups all over the world. To learn more about any of these resources, head to the show notes where you can learn more about my courses, take the quiz to figure out which course is best for you, or join the Facebook group. And don't forget to use the code PODCAST to get $25 off my course bundle. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast with your host, Breakup Bestie, aka me, Kendra. Breakups are hard, but you don't have to do it alone. Each week, I will be taking you through a different topic as it relates to breaking up, healing from heartbreak, growing in your single life, dating, and getting back into happier and healthier relationships. The goal of this show is to provide support, hope, tips, and to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome to another expert episode of the podcast. Today we are talking all about divorce. Now, most of my content, most of my episodes do apply, whether you're going through just separation between a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or if you're going through a separation from a husband or a wife, However, I am aware that there are very specific things to going through a divorce. And so I was so happy to bring on Nicole Sodoma to come on and speak specifically to going through the process of a divorce. And Nicole has a really interesting perspective because she has been a divorce attorney for a very long time. She has a very successful attorney practice and she never expected to go through a divorce herself however she did and so she has the perspective of watching hundreds of couples go through divorce and also you know utilizing her own experience she is the author of the book please don't say you're sorry which right when this was pitched to me i loved the idea because i think i would love to see less people seeing breakups as something you're supposed to say sorry for and more as like a next chapter in your life. So Nicole and I talk all about the process of going through a divorce. We talk, we touch on co-parenting. We touch on going through like the actual logistics of going through a divorce, how you can maintain your boundaries and no contact while sharing children and having to see each other through mediations and all of those things. So if you are someone who is in the middle of a divorce, is about to go through a divorce, I highly recommend this episode and I can't wait for you guys to hear more from Nicole and please go get her book. Please don't say you're sorry. Hi, Nicole. Welcome to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. So happy to have you on today. Hi, Kendra. So if you could just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and this is a multiple part question, a little bit about yourself. And I'd love to hear the story behind why you came to write your book. Oh gosh. You know, it's so hard to pare down the story of me. I guess I should start with, I always think about like the hats I wear, right? So 
I'm a, a mom to three. I'm an ex-wife, a soon-to-be new wife, a divorce lawyer of 20-something years, a business owner of 13-something years, a dog owner, oh, a dog lover. I'm from small town South Carolina, which surprises a lot of people. I've been in Charlotte, North Carolina for the last 22 years. I guess I should also say like I'm a sister, I'm an aunt, I'm all those other things too. I love all the hats that I wear. I have been in the area of family law almost since I started practicing law and have loved every minute of it. I feel so fortunate that I get to get up every day and be in this area of law. It is sometimes the most complex. You have to know a little bit about a lot of things. And I love the people I practice with. When I opened the law firm in 2008, it was my paralegal and me. And it was like a scene from Jerry Maguire. She came with like fish in hand. She was practicing with, I mean, she was my paralegal for like, I don't know, about four weeks in. She came in my office and she goes, oh my gosh, I totally forgot. What am I going to be making? And uh, <laughs> in addition, I was like, oh my God, I don't know. I don't know what you're going to be making. I have no idea what I'm making. So we did get her a fish. His name was Jerry. Jerry later got buried in the front yard of our office. But in the first year of the law firm, we went from two to 12 people in the first 12 months. And uh, you know the whole thing started at the kitchen table, basically. And uh, it was a journey, an experience. I had no idea what I was doing. I held every position in the office before I hired someone to do it. And after the first 12 months, and after we had learned each other's bathroom schedules, we found a building that was more suitable. And I guess that's where the story starts. We're now um, 55 people. There are 22 lawyers. And we are most definitely known for what we do in the area of family law. I guess I should say, too, when I was little, like every good little Jewish girl, I was told I was going to be a doctor or a lawyer. I guess that's not for all little Jewish girls, but that was for me. And so I set out on a path to be a doctor, finished high school in three years, got through college, could have finished it in three years. I was 20 years old and said, oh, geez, I made a C in microbiology. No good lawyer, no good doctor would make a C in microbiology. I'll never forget the teacher's name was Dr. Morrison. I switched my major, communications and journalism, and set off into this lawyer world. So unlike most lawyers I have, we taught how to be creative in law school. We're not taught how to run businesses. We're basically taught how to manage our time and take care of our clients. So it's been a fun experience so far. I decided to write the book. Well, I should say I wrote my first book when I was 11 and I just found it. Oh my gosh. And it's tight. I guess I didn't have a lot of friends growing up because I remember sitting on the couch with my typewriter and the whiteout. It's about 10 pages, single spaced, I think. And it was called Scarlet Takes a Journey. I just found it. I showed it to my 11-year-old and was like, look what I did. This book, I guess that's my first book. In 2017, maybe, I thought I'd write a book about all of the things I've learned in the last 20 years about being a divorce attorney, like all the things that you shouldn't do. Super simple. Maybe don't have a threesome and expect your marriage to work. Yeah. <laughs> my plan was, was like, it's such a serious area of the law that you have to have some humor. You have to find some humor. You have to dig deep. And I thought it was going to be a bathroom book. When's the last time you had like a bathroom book? Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, 
You know what I mean? Like yeah, short now it's stories. Just a, now it's just your phone. Right. It's you're scrolling Insta. Yeah. Sorry, that might be too personal. But when I met Jocelyn Duffy, who was my co-write, we started really digging in. And uh, every time I would say, well, let's just make this short little chapter, it would turn into something so much more resourceful. And it still has my candor and hopefully a little humor in it, but that is how it came to be. And it has been, it's been fun so far. Yeah, no, I think it's such a, I mean, I know so many listeners will gravitate towards that. And there's so many, so many questions I want to ask you about, you know, the kind of the different, like we were saying, like the different hats that, that you wear. And the first one I really want to ask is, is the title of the book. Where was that something that came from your personal experience? Like, you know, mentioning your divorce, was that something that you came to realize when people were saying, I'm sorry, or is that something that came from the experience of being an attorney? It hit home for me when I got divorced. There is no doubt. And then as I started looking back, I have spent a lifetime of saying, I'm sorry for things I have not been sorry for. Mm -hmm. So people say they're sorry for lots of different things. And uh, when, you know, I've been a divorce lawyer for almost 20 years, I've been now separated in a divorce for three. And when I started the process, what I immediately noticed was that every time you say divorced or separated or any version of those things, the first pe- thing people, they go, oh, I'm so sorry. And you're just like, wait, you just made me feel bad about myself. I was feeling fine and now I'm not feeling fine. And, you know, obviously what you discover is that like people don't know what else to say and whether, you know, they don't always have good intentions when they're saying, I'm sorry, which I also understood. And I was at a, a friend of mine was getting promoted in her financial industry uh, sector and they were naming her partner or something that night. And someone said it to me and I was like, that's it. No more I'm sorry. Tired of saying I'm sorry. And I'm tired of people telling me that they're sorry. And so we need to change, we need to change the trend. We came up with lots of different things that we, you know, came up with for the book and for my friends. I've been testing them out. But it is amazing that when I text with friends or when I'm talking to friends and the words I'm sorry come out for any reason now, everybody says, Oh, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. That's that's not the right thing to say. So that's how the title came to be. It is not because I want people to feel sorry for me, which is, I've heard some of that idea, but no, that is not it. Yeah. I'm sure, I think I've shared this story on the podcast before, but when I first started Breakup Bestie, I was at like a friend's birthday and I was talking to like a friend of a friend and I was telling her about Breakup Bestie and she's like, oh, I'm actually going through a divorce. And I said the same thing. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And she goes, please don't say I'm sorry. She goes, <laughs> she goes, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. She said, I've been needing to get out of this marriage for a long time. And I remember being like, oh, it was like a really big switch in my mind. And then I started realizing like the message of breakup bestie is eventually I'd like everyone to be able to see their breakup or divorce as 
you know, some blessing in disguise. And so I, you know, I'm not, I don't want to promote like, oh, I'm so sorry. I think we, everyone needs to have space to feel all their feelings and to be supported and loved. And while you're going through all the tough things that come with whatever your separation looks like, I remember like, it's like the puppy dog thing. It's like your dog just got run over. You're like, oh, you know, it's, and no one likes feeling like that. No one likes the feeling that people are like walking on eggshells around them and that they need to treat them differently. It's like, give me a hug. And then like, just talk to me like you're my friend. Well, I think so many people don't know how to deal with divorce emotionally. To some, it's going to feel like death. To others, it's going to feel like freedom. I describe it as being on a roller coaster of freedom and grief. And sometimes you're there for a minute and sometimes you're there for the whole day and you don't know when the ride's going to end and you're in a fog. And so people so quickly jump to those really heavy words because like I said, like they don't know what else to say, but everybody is, you know, for the most part, they deal with it so differently. But the reality is, is anybody can come home, be married. I always say it like it takes two to say I do and one to say I don't. You agree to get married. You stand before whoever you've chosen to stand before to commit, to make your vows. And then the law can step in and one person can say, I don't want to be married anymore. And it could be for any reason. It could be for some salacious, pale adultery. It could be drug-related, abuse-related, or it could just be that you've grown apart. Whatever the reason is, becomes not as important as the fact that are you prepared for someone to make that decision? And that decision can be out of your control. It is going to be out of your control. You can't control with somebody. You only can control yourself. So if somebody comes home and says, oh, I mean, it's not you, it's me, whatever it is, are you prepared? Because that is really what it ends up being once you get past the real emotions of the dissolution of your relationship being un, you know, unrelationship. It, it really is. Are you prepared for what that looks like? Cause it's not going to be in your control, which also makes it so interesting to have the prenuptial agreement conversations, the postnuptial agreement conversations. And it is a scary place, but it's something you hope you never have to use when you say I do, but it is also something that you can't control. So, you know, It just seems like we get so educated on so many things. We prepare for so many things. And this is just one of those things that a lot of people don't prepare for because quite naturally they want, you know, people choose love. They choose to be together. I think that's one of the hardest parts about going through a breakup is the loss of control of, you know, one day your life looks one way and then someone says, I'm done. And then your life just gets completely you know, ripped apart, turned upside down, the rug comes out. And I want to go back to what you said about, I have like three follow-up questions. (laughs) The first one is as someone who's been in this business for a long period of time, what is the most common theme that you see in separations? Is it financial? Is it the growing apart? Is it, you know, I'd, I'd be so curious what that looks like. We polled Oh, okay. Um, we did a random poll of a hundred. Now this is a couple of years ago and uh, it was adultery and financial were the two. And I know, and that's, you know, what we read, right? 
very rarely will people say they have grown apart. You don't hear that very often because it's usually they've decided that all other reasons are the reasons that they've grown apart. But to me, it also breaks down to communication and the work you have to do in order to stay married. Because, you know, once we get to that point where we're married, I don't hear very often any of my clients say, oh, well, we worked with this counselor. We took, you know, every year we would take a, a long weekend to get to know each other again. We would go to marriage. God, there's so many great, there's so many great counselors. And actually the way that I did the book was, I'm a marriage-loving divorce attorney. Yes. So I did it in three parts, marriage, separation, and divorce. And I hope that I listed enough resources that I'd heard of, read about, studied, attended, whatever it was, so that people would have some ideas of the things that exist during your marriage, because communication is critical. So often in my consultations, and I could speak for the other attorneys in my office too, will hear, I have this credit card, but he doesn't know about it. Or there's that, the communication, like uh, I always ask, does, does she have access or does he have access to your phone? Is it password protected? Why are we not allowed to look at the phone? Is yeah. there, are there secrets behind the phone? Usually when we have a case where, when I have somebody who adultery is going to come into play, there is usually a, a credit card that somebody doesn't know about, a bank account that somebody doesn't know about. So communication and that transparency is a theme. Mm-hmm. Where Which issue it falls into does become important, but the narrative really goes back to the communication and the trust that exists between the two people. I think it's difficult too, because you know I'll get messages from people who will say, like, I'm willing to go to counseling. I'm willing to work on my communication. I'm like, but it takes two people who are willing to be able to do that. So it's like, you can put blood, sweat, and tears into the marriage, but if the other person's not, you can't do it for them, you know? Oh, isn't that the truth? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be great if we could, but. Oh gosh. I, you know, so many things would be different for me. You have to understand what it is you're dealing with first, you know, and you have to know how to accommodate that behavior of the other person just as much as you need to know yourself. You have to be able to turn towards it, decide what you're going to give it and uh, then own it. Because if you're not going to take those steps and turn, turn towards the problem, you cannot make the other person change. And even if they do change, are they going to change in the way that you want them to change? And is it going to be like a real change or just like, I'm going to do this to get you off my back and like long enough to, you know, get you to stop talking about it. And then I'm going to go back to normal. Right. I mean, it takes work to change Yeah. Uh, you and you have to want to change. So, and for me personally, when I went through it, remember thinking, well, am I the only one that's changing? Like, why do I, I'm accommodating. I want, listen, like I said, I'm a marriage, love and divorce attorney. I wanted to stay married. And at some point you just have to decide it's your own personal decision to decide what you can keep up and what is going to be your happiness and how brave are you? And because you can't ask that of the other person. I mean, you can, but it might fall on deaf ears and you have to be prepared for it. 
And the other interesting part is that that could be happening for the other person too. And it just kind of goes back to that. We need to be better prepared for the possibility. It shouldn't, you know, ruin the dreams that we had of what love and marriage is supposed to be in your perspective. But, you know, I'm always curious about people that don't want to have that communication that are scared of that prenuptial agreement. And by the way, I understand being scared of a prenuptial agreement. I totally get it. But I always think of it like, well, we get car insurance, not because we know we're going to get in a wreck or we get life insurance, not because we know that, you know, we want to, or disability insurance, whatever it is, we have those protections, but we go into marriage sometimes blindly, knowing that, you know, overnight, your legal obligations are going to change. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, like that's just what's going to happen. And then once that happens, everything is going to change if it doesn't work out. I remember I had a mentor of mine. I think it was right around the time that I got engaged. But I remember she said, she's like, look, marriage is about love, but it's also a business partnership. Like, who are you getting into business with? You're in like the business of raising a family. It's she's like, you have to consider that side of it. And yet take some of the romance and like, you know, all that stuff, it can take some of that out of it. But like you said, at the end of the day, it happens. And I would be really curious, like this whole idea of like the sacredness of marriage. Whenever I talk about people growing apart or, you know, a marriage ending, people will say, well, what's the point if we're going to make this contract for forever and we're going to stand before all our friends and family and say, you know, till death do us part, like, what's the point of doing any of that if it can potentially come to an end? I mean, I think it's a really, you know, valid question. I always tell people, like, if you have the ability to go through a breakup, like I, I use the example for me because I've had the ability to like go through a breakup and learn that I can be okay on my own. I know I would be fine if something happened to my marriage. And I think that's very empowering. And you talk in your book about that idea of self-advocacy, but yeah, if you could just share your thoughts on like this idea of this, like the sacredness of marriage. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had unlimited time and energy? As you're navigating your breakup, I know your energy can feel low and it can feel really difficult to complete everything you need to in a day. When you're emotionally exhausted, it's especially important to be really clear on what your priorities are and where your energy should be invested. Therapy has helped me in the past figuring out where I should be putting my energy, whether that's career, friendships, relationships, events, which in turn has helped lower my anxiety because I don't always have to feel stretched thin or behind. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartbreak today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash heartbreak. Are you looking for a guilt-free way to unwind? 
Between balancing your breakup, work, and just functioning in your day-to-day life, I know you are under a lot of stress. Breakups mess with your nervous system, cause obsessive thoughts, and make it so hard to just sit with yourself. This is why it's so important to have rituals that allow you to treat yourself in a healthy way. And this is why I love Recess Mood, a sparkling water infused with functional ingredients like stress-balancing adaptogens and mood-lifting magnesium. Life has been very full and stressful for me lately, and as someone who hasn't had alcohol in a 11 years, I need something that helps me relax and that can bring me a moment of peace. Lately, my favorite way to do that is sitting on the couch after I put my kids to bed and having either the strawberry rose or the lime recess mood. They not only make me feel good, but they also taste incredible too. So whether you're looking for a healthier alternative to alcohol or a way to make you feel more balanced, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash heartbreak and get 15% off recess mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. The new year is the perfect time to start building credit scores. Because when your credit scores increase, your opportunities do too. Like loan approvals and lower interest rates. Chime makes it easier to keep building your credit with a secured Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card. You can use Credit Builder everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. Chime helps you build your credit score safely by using your own money to make everyday purchases and on-time payments. To apply, just open a Chime checking account with a $200 qualifying direct deposit. And don't stress, there's no annual fee or credit check required to apply and get started. Start building your credit history and finding new opportunities with the secured Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Late payment may negatively impact your credit score. Results may vary. I love the idea that there is sacredness to marriage. I don't love the idea that you have to stay in a marriage that is unhealthy. You know, this is not a dress rehearsal. This is the real deal. And if you are in a partnership that isn't good and healthy and happy, I worry about what that does to our children. I know the science behind it. I know that there's science on both sides. But there is also a way to have a compassionate and healthy divorce. So, but you have to go in knowing what that looks like as a possibility. And, you know, we talk about reasons people get married and reasons people divorce. Everybody just assumes that divorce is going to be terrible. There's this awful thing. But if you can provide the people we marry are not people we divorce, we evolve. And you can't promise someone when you marry them that you're going to evolve in the same direction that the other person has evolved, right? I've had plenty of clients over the years who recognize that they were more comfortable in same-sex relationships, that they didn't know it then, but now they do. I mean, so this doesn't fit in a pretty box with a bow. This is people's lives, they're going to make decisions and it's going to have consequences. It's about being prepared for the consequences that you didn't see coming, the unintended consequences. So I would love to take the the stereotype out, divorce, change the narrative, change the story about what it could look like, because it could be that you're much better parents than you are spouses. 
if you have children, you give the, the children an opportunity to see what a real marriage could look like and what real love could look like. Looks like, And frankly, you don't have to be married for any of that to happen. But I believe in the sacred vow, but I worry about the families who are staying in it for the wrong reasons, who are unhealthy, who think that the best thing is to stay in it for the commitment to the children, knowing that the children could grow up in a healthier, happier environment if the parents were willing to do that. So, and I love the idea of a compassionate divorce. I really, really do. I love the idea that you love your children more than you hate your soon to be ex-spouse. Yeah. And that takes maturity and compassion. And, and sadly, that is the reason that we have the stereotypes about how awful divorces can be. Yeah. And I definitely want to get into co-parenting or, you know, like through the actual divorce process, what that looks like. But I think it's interesting, like, you know, obviously the divorce rate has gone up since, you know, a hundred, like a hundred years ago. And I know there's like, I see this quote go around every so often where people say like, back in the day, we didn't just throw away stuff because it was broken. Like we actually like worked on it. And I mean, I would be curious what you think. I tend to think that the divorce rate in part has gone up because people have decided that they don't want to stay in situations that don't work for them, where they're miserable, where they're not treated well. I tend to think probably some, like a lot of the divorce increases more comes from an empowering place, not necessarily like I'm just being careless about marriage. I would like to think that as well. And I don't have a lot of clients that come through who are on that careless side. Yeah. I mean, I'm so happy to say that out loud because I'd have to withhold judgment and because I am a marriage, love and divorce attorney. So I'd, I look at things a little bit more holistically. I don't want to, I hate using that word, but like, I like to be able to see the big picture and what's right for everybody. Let's see. What was the question again? <laughs> well, no, it was just, I mean, you kind of answered it, but yeah, yeah. I think t- people tend to think that if, some, if someone ends a marriage, it's, it's careless. They're not, they didn't put much thought into it. They just woke up one day and decided they didn't want to be married. And I just don't think that's the case. And it sounds like you confirmed that where people don't just come to you carelessly. It's something that's very well thought out, took a long time to, you know, so I think if someone listening who is on the receiving end of, I don't want to be married to you anymore. I don't think it's done carelessly typically. So, I mean, I, yeah, I think people change their tone. I was thinking of the joke. I have an old friend and he said, why are divorces so expensive? You know, the punchline of this, right? No, I don't think so. Cause they're worth it. Yeah. You know, okay. I mean, yeah. and so that might sound careless, but I know what that person was going through. And maybe at some point it starts to sound careless because they're just so relieved that it's over because divorce is not a sprint. It is a marathon. It's like, I always say it's like New Year's Eve. Like you hurry up, you, you're, you're all dressed and ready and you've been preparing, separated. And now this divorce thing is going to happen. And it's like New Year's Eve. Like you're like, oh, okay. You know, now we're here and it's another chapter. So I think it can be so exhausting that by the time you get to the other side of it, I hope that there's some humor in it and that you can look back and identify what you would have done differently, find some, you know, positive perspectives and, and then be able to, you know, tell people what you learned. And that was also kind of a reason that I wrote the book because 
when I started with my little idea of having a bathroom book about the tales of, you know, the divorce attorney and all the things you shouldn't do, I um, realized that after all these years of being a divorce attorney, there were so many things my clients weren't telling me. They weren't telling me about the emotional consequences. They weren't telling me what it was going to be like. You know, they'd say, I can't believe I'm not going to have Thanksgiving with my kids or that the kids aren't going to be with me on Christmas Eve or whatever insert holiday here. And I'd say, well, no, we're just going to make up a new holiday. We're going to call it, you know, we did Friendsgiving, right? Or whatever holiday you want to call it. Or instead of celebrating birthdays, you're going to celebrate half birthdays this year. So we, I would come up with all these ways to work around it. But knowing now, having been through it, that is, was not sufficient. It was not sufficient. You're, what your lawyer tells you is not sufficient emotionally. And by the time my clients were walking in, they were tough. You know, they might cry. There's Kleenex in the middle of the table for everyone, regardless of who you are, how long you've been married, the tissue is going to be there and, and you might need it. But when you leave, those are the things that I don't think that lawyers do such a great job at, in my opinion. And that's not a slight. Their job is not to be the therapist. Their job is to counsel you, to give you an expectation of what's going to happen with the law. Their job is to advocate for you, but you got to be taking care of yourself emotionally through that process because we're all going to be handling it differently. So that was really how the book developed from being my funny bathroom book to a much bigger snapshot in how to deal with some of those things that your lawyer is either not equipped to deal with or isn't going to tell you because that's really not their job as your legal advocate. So, And I would love to hear, you know, talking about the balancing of emotions, whether that's from your experience or just people you've seen do it well, how do you recommend people? Because, you know, there's the balancing of taking care of your emotional self while going through a divorce. There's a lot of like logistics and legal and procedural stuff that you have to go through to go through a divorce. And then let's throw in the fact that you probably have kids that you still have to take care of. Like, how do you balance those things? Carefully. Yeah. <laughs> it's also, it's a full-time job. Divorce itself becomes a full-time job, especially if you have been married for more than a couple of years. The All of those things that you just listed are things that you're going to have to manage because the world continues to turn. It is Life is not going to shut down just because your relationship status is changing. So not only are you managing the chaos of, I have to go and pull 12 months 24 months of bank statements. I have to get the kids to practice. There's a game, there's list, whatever your responsibilities are. None of those things stop. So being really careful about how you run your day, you know, in the book, I talk about the divorce diet because I just forgot to eat. So I got really super thin. Well, you just forget to eat because there's so much to accomplish And when you're going through that divorce process, I called it the fog when I was experiencing it. And then looking back over the last two decades of clients walking in the door and watching how they have changed and managed 
And at one point we brought in a, a divorce concierge and that sounds really fancy, but what it was, was, you know, I've got moms and dads with full-time jobs going through this change and there is no time to go get all the documents from the bank and trace back what somebody received from a, you know, an inheritance or a trust or from the job they had when they were coming out of school that then got blended with the rest of the family finances. I mean, there, there are some intricacies that you don't see coming and uh, balancing it with the, all of the things that you had to balance before, it just, it adds on. And so I have lots of tips for my clients on how to do that. Everyone, we put together checklists and uh, there are great apps for it. And uh, there are kind of old school ways with um, stickies, creating new email addresses to write yourself notes. There are lots of good ways to balance. It's not a great fix for the emotions. So listening to podcasts like yours, regardless of whether someone's divorced, whether they had a marriage, the, the tools for breakup and understanding what it is. We were talking about what Guy Winch said on your last podcast, and he described, I loved when he described this. Is it okay that I referenced yeah. back to him? Yeah. He said, when someone breaks up or is broken up with, the brain looks as if, do you remember when he said this? The brain looks as if you're like just taking away your drug. Mm -hmm. Yes. And if you were a drug addict, I love the analogy because if you were a drug addict and you were doing crazy shit, you would get like your friend would go, oh, well, that's just how they're reacting because they're no longer on this drug and they're going to do some crazy things for a little bit. They might steal, they might, you know, not come out of their home for a while and you excuse it because you know that the cause is, but people don't think the same way about breakups or divorce. And then the idea that there's a statute of limitations from your friends was, it is fascinating and it was fascinating. And I think like when I heard that last, oh, I'm so sorry. It was like, I, yeah. <laughs> I am still going through something and I don't need you feeling sorry for me. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, do you think some people will just kind of bottle up the emotions until the proceedings are all done and then they're and then, you know, then they say, well, then I'll pick up the pieces emotionally. I think that a lot of parents have to do that. Yeah. I mean, you can't risk your employment. You can't risk being there for your children, but finding the right support group. And there are support groups, even if they're just on social media. As a lawyer, I would say, be careful on social media. You know, everything you post is evidence. I can't help but say that out loud. So yeah. like my little lawyer had just popped in and uh, it is evidence. I mean, the whether it's the screenshots or the back end and what you think is confidential, it is not. So what you post, it, and it has gotten a lot of people in trouble, but there are support groups. If you are worried that what you're going to post is going to get you in trouble, don't post it. That's your gut talking. Listen to it. And if, you know, I say like, if you think I got to call you, Nicole, to ask you whether I can do something, don't, don't do, do it. it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> I used to do that to my mother forever. I'd, I'd call her and say, can I wear this today? And she'd say, no. Yeah. 
<laughs> like every time I call you, you say you. no. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Don't do it. So the support groups are really important. You know, you might be that you're going to, you'll recognize through that breakup process that you are going to start carpooling and you might have some different friends for a while until you get in your groove. And that also is, it's scary, but it can actually be kind of fun. Yeah. It's like starting, I mean, and you know, it's starting a new chapter, not for the best reason necessarily, but it's, you know, it's starting a new chapter. And my last question is again, around co-parenting, you know, for me, someone's not going through a divorce with kids. I'm a huge fan of the no contact rule of just, you know, being able to remove the person. So you're able to get over them. Obviously with co-parenting, that's not, that's not an option. Do you have any tips in terms of co-parenting where someone can protect their own emotions, protect, you know, themselves as much as possible, but also then have to, you know, interact with someone that they might feel really resentful towards. They might be, be completely devastated by and having to interact with them on a regular basis because of having kids together. My first tip is to love your kids and your animals more than you hate the other person. It's hard to do sometimes, especially when you feel like you've been wronged, mm-hmm. but it is a high road and uh, how you behave, even if your children don't necessarily see it, they feel it. And uh, when you don't look at the other person and you're at an exchange, the children see that. And that is somebody that is half them. You know, I mean, in a traditional sense, if they're, if that child is made up of those two parents and and you're that disenchanted, hating the other parent. I mean, that's part of your kid. There are lots of different circumstances I can come up with. That's just, the, I guess, the most traditional one that popped in my brain. But first, when, you know, I'm, from a legal perspective, I would go back and remind uh, parents of this. Co-parenting is not the same thing as parallel parenting. Parallel parenting, we hear more about when we've got higher conflict cases. It's basically think of it as driving on a road and there is somebody beside you. You don't have to talk, but you have to be going in the same direction. Yeah. And then just the other legal nuance I want to mention, because I always like people to like when we're talking about how we're going to do this to reduce conflict between the parents, uh, legal custody, we typically refer to when we're talking about how decisions are made super hot issue when we were talking about vaccinations and COVID, because if, if you don't have a decision maker in your agreement or your court order as it relates to custody or parenting, then you're going to have a problem. That doesn't, you can't run down to the pharmacy and get a, a COVID vaccine for your kids. Then the physical custody is what we talk about. We're actually talking about like a parenting schedule, where your kids put their heads on their pillows at night. And those are two very different things. So if there is an impasse on any issue, having a method of resolution is so important. Some states have what we call parenting coordinators. Not a lot of people know what they are. I am one, not all, it's not in all states, but it's a statutory. You have to have a certain number of hours and be a lawyer in this field or a mental health professional in this field for a certain number of years. But what's cool about a parenting coordinator is that if you have two parents who are high conflict and they can't make a decision, a parenting coordinator who is not a judge can go in and be a temporary decision maker. Hmm. And then if you don't like it, you can take it to your judge. 
So we always want to stay out of the courtroom as often as we can. And that is a good opportunity, but ultimately reduce conflict, reduce communication. Some of the other tips that I give is that are sending a weekly email instead of a, an email as it happens. Sometimes it's inevitable and you have to do that, especially in emergencies, but a weekly email, break it down into academics, social, especially when you have a newborn or you know infant through toddler. We used to recommend, I used to recommend my clients that they'd have notebooks that would go with the exchange, like just pass the notebook. Notebook comes back, pass the notebook. And if you're really good, then create this journal for your child that they can later see. Yeah. So, you know, when you go to solids or you know about this, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it becomes a journal and it just goes back and forth and that reduces some conflict. So lots of little tips that you learn along the way, depending on the age of your children, of course, counseling in addition to parenting coordinator work, but just I'll go back to my very first one, which is just love your kids more than you hate each other and keep them first and foremost. So I love that. So many good tips. And I want to make sure that people know where they can find your book. So this will be out when, when your book is out. So where can they find you? Where can they connect with you? I have a feeling people are probably itching to be able to see all the tips that you provide in the book. Well, I would love that. Uh, Instagram is at Nicole Sedoma. NicoleSedoma.com is our book website. We are pre-order right now on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all the big guys are available for pre-order. And uh, is that it? I think that's it, right? Yes. And I'll link all of that. I'll link all of that in the show notes. So you guys go out and get Nicole's book. Please don't say you're sorry. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing all your experience and your expertise. I know it's very much appreciated. Thanks, Kendra. I love spending time with you. Yes, you too. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your breakup bestie where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones, and the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise. Having a versatile, high-quality piece of clothing feels great, but having a whole closet full of favorites feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.